This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Jean-Luc Picard captained the Starship Enterprise on the beloved series Star Trek The Next Generation some 30 years ago. Patrick Stewart returned to that iconic role in the Paramount Plus series Picard. Now in its third and final season, Picard has brought the old Next Generation gang together for one last mission. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Picard on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. Joining me today is NPR's TV critic, Eric Deggins. Eric, welcome back. Trekker, Trekkie, how do you identify? I identify as Trek fan, however you want to call me. Okay. I never understood the whole, you know, calling somebody a Trekkie is a slur, but Trekker is cool. They're both cool. I'm just a Trek nerd. There you go. (laughs) So uh, let's make it so. In the first couple seasons of Picard, now Admiral Jean-Luc Picard would occasionally encounter reminders of his adventures aboard the Enterprise. Some of his old colleagues or enemies might turn up for an episode or two. But in this third and final season, it is Old Home Week. A mysterious force has infiltrated Starfleet for reasons that tie back to Picard's deadliest nemesis. Soon enough, he's commandeering the USS Titan, which is captained by the hilariously unimpressed Liam Shaw, played by Todd Stashwick. Justice for Shaw. Shaw's my guy. He also <laughs> learns that he has a grown son, Jack, played by Ed Spilliers. But the main thing is, the gang's all here. Gates McFadden's Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis's Deanna Troy, Jonathan Frakes, Will Riker, LeVar Burton's Jordy LaForge, Michael Dorn's Wharf, and eventually, Brent Spiner's Data. This last season has proven popular with fans and critics alike, and we're wondering how much of that can be tracked to an uptick in quality, how much to pure nostalgia for these characters, and how much to plain old fan service. We have seen the first nine of its ten-episode seasons, so we'll stick to talking about them. Eric, engage. What's your take? <laughs> well, you know, I wrote a review before uh, the show debuted. I love, love, love this. And the reason I love this is because I've always felt that Paramount Plus's new Trek series have aired by being so careful about trying to blaze their own path and tone down the references to past Trek stuff. And I understand that, especially with Discovery, the very first series to step out. They wanted to blaze a new trail. But there is a reason why this franchise has survived for nearly 60 years. To have especially Star Trek Picard in its first two seasons really suffered 
from not being willing to look back and acknowledge the reason why people love Jean-Luc Picard in the first place. So it is just so great to see this series emerge as this love letter to not just the next generation, but all those Trek series that kind of debuted in that uh, 1990s, early 2000s era. So the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, there's all kinds of Easter eggs and references Mm -hmm. that if you don't know the shows, you don't need to worry about. But if you do know the shows, it is just so much fun and so much extra pleasure to watch this unfold. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If there are next generation nerds out there who've stayed away from the show for any reason, I want to tell them you can just jump in on season three and because uh, <laughs> everything is. I would recommend that. I would recommend that. Just don't even bother with the first two seasons of Picard because they're not great. We'll talk about those first two seasons at some point because they, they do try to do their own thing. But I think this doesn't strike me as simply fan service. This strikes me as a, a commitment to honoring this cast of actors, not necessarily right. the characters. Every actor who returns gets at least one scene or two to go full ham right. in a way they never got a chance to on Next Generation because they'd act, sure, they'd stand around spending techno babble and lurching around the set whenever the ship got hit. But here, it's, it's the characters aren't coming back so they can do something badass. The actors are returning and given a chance to actually emote, you know, to have an emotional moment they can really chew on. And I'd imagine that was a condition of their return. I mean, LeVar Burton's doing fine. I bet he said, look, I'll come back. But you got to give me more to do than just talk about how I'm going to reverse the polarity of the deflector array to create a subspace tachyon field, whatever the hell. There are times, Eric, when the actor, Patrick Stewart, the man, Patrick Stewart, he's delivering a line and his voice cracks. Cracks with age, not with emotion. What could have been had I known? Hmm? What might I have been? Father. A husband. And instead of going back and reshooting or redubbing the line or doing it in ADR, it stays in. And I love that. It's honoring the role, sure, but it's also honoring the actor. It is paying tribute to this entire cast of actors in a way that the next generation never got a chance to. Well, you know, I I think people, when people refer to this idea of fan service and putting things in shows that fans would like, it's always said with some disdain. Mm -hmm. But I think that it is possible to pay attention to that in a way that actually helps the show. Picard's third season is a perfect example of that. Gates McFadden, let's use her as an example, the actress who plays Beverly Crusher. It is known to fans and it's known to people who follow the next generation that she was always frustrated and felt like her character never got enough to do. She had some serious conflicts with one of the executive producers on the show. They wrote her off of the show for a season. Mm -hmm. And when that executive producer was left the show, she was able to come back. But the character was never able to really do what she wanted to do. And the very first scene of the very first episode in the third season of Picard is Beverly Crusher as action hero, which is what she always wanted to do. Now, you don't need to know any of that to enjoy that scene, but if you know the backstory and you see her get to shine, it is a signal to the fans, you are going to get to see these characters actually be characters. Mm -hmm. They're not just props. They're not just holding up John Luke Picard or holding up William Riker, they are going to get to have their own moments. And it's so much better. I mean, every character was introduced with a, can I say kick-ass? Mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with a kick-ass moment that indelibly told you who they were, how far they had changed 
over the uh, 20 years or so since these characters have really hung out with each other. So I just thought they did such a great job. And it helps that the showrunner has a long history with the franchise. He was a like a PA on Star Trek Voyager and knows this stuff inside and out. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk some the showrunners. I mean, basically, there's a lot of co-showrunners running around this thing. But basically, you got... Michael Chabon, Akiva Goldsman, and Terry Metalis. Metalis is the showrunner of this season. He has said that the three seasons of the show are different in tone and theme because they are led by the three different people. So the first season was Chabon's, and that was um, Picard dealing with regrets with people he couldn't save. The second season was Goldsman's, and it's about him exploring why Picard is so emotionally distant and can't uh, sustain romantic relationships. And this third season, according to Metalis, is his, and it's just a big send-off to this character and his world. But there are new characters in the mix. Let's talk uh, Let's talk Shaw, my guy Shaw, Captain Shaw, Todd Stashwick. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's wonderful. You know, a sardonic, sarcastic. He does things that Trek characters are normally not allowed to do. He curses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hates Picard <laughs> and is contemptuous of, you know, his whole crew and all the things that they did. He points out things that fans have said lovingly about the show, which is that they constantly disobeyed orders and they constantly risked the lives of their crew people in ways that didn't seem to make sense. He points all of that out. And ultimately, he is the character who drives home the fact that people will not forget that Picard was once a Borg who led an attack that killed thousands of Starfleet members. Mm -hmm. And that is something that the first two seasons of Picard you know, kind of dealt with, but didn't really deal with. And it's really weird to have a show where the centerpiece of the show is that the lead character is a lion in winter. He's looking back over his life. He has all these regrets. And all these people that he shared such seminal moments in his life with are barely in the show. It, It just, it didn't make any sense. So now we get all of that regret. We get him looking back on his life and finding out the places where he made bad decisions. But he's doing it with his found family around him. And it makes all the difference in the quality of the show. But it doesn't let those characters or Picard off the hook. And the key to that, as you say, is Shaw. This character kind of unlocked the series for me, the franchise for me, because some people think the Trek franchise, you know, needs to to, to be relevant today, needs to go grim and gritty. Of course, that's wrong. We know that's wrong because Trek is at heart a very humanistic, very secular optimism. That's what drives it. Uh, some say that every Trek show needs a Spock or a Data, you know, somebody struggling with trying to be human or understanding human. No, I would argue that what every Trek show needs is a Shaw, a realist, someone who will speak truth to power, who will represent not just the audience, but will represent common sense and rationalism and call people out on their stuff. I love this character. I love how he's played. He embodies just reminding people all the time that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's what he's there for, and he does it great. Another addition to this cast is Ed Spilliers as Jack, who it turns out is Picard's son. Man, over the years, Trek just loves to foist this guy on us or a character like this guy who's the charming rogue, a 'er ne'er-do-well who doesn't have time for stuffy Starfleet in their precious rules. And I just never vibe with a character like that because, like, get off the ship then. What are you doing here? You know, I never find them charming. I just find them annoying. What do you think of Jack? Well, and if you think about sort of the great spread of next generation stories, this is the second time they've created an offspring of of Picard in a way because uh, in Star Trek Nemesis in that movie – the big bad was a clone of Picard who was kind of like a younger version of him. Mm-hmm. So this almost feels like something they've 
the franchise has done before. This character, we are constantly told how special Jack is. Yeah. We are rarely shown how special Jack is. He's he's not really that special a character. And the series, uh, one of its weak points is that it has to work so hard to convince us that Jack is special and worth all of this, you know, Rolaire and it's kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all these people dying and getting hurt to try and protect him. The series has to work really hard to convince us that he's worth it. I do want to go back to the thing that you said about Liam Shaw, because the thing that's interesting about Star Trek, again, if you know this stuff, for a long time, when they were creating the syndicated series and they were creating the, sh- the shows for UPN, there was this really rigid idea of what Star Trek was because the people who were overseeing the project felt that they owed it to Gene Roddenberry's legacy, the legacy of the guy who created the show, to uphold the very rigid ideas that he had about what was Trek and what was not Trek. And the main thing about Trek is that it takes place in an idealized future where there is no greed. There is no money. There is no war among humans. Mankind has overcome a lot of its problems. And then you go to writers and you say, give me an an interesting action (laughs) series where none of the characters can hate each other. There can't be conflict within Starfleet. And there there isn't even money or greed. Uh What Shaw's character is an example of a character that violates those rules in a way that fans of Trek can instinctively feel that this is a kind of character they haven't seen before in a Trek show. Mm-hmm. They don't know necessarily know why he's so distinctive, but he's distinctive because he breaks all those rules yeah. that they had for Trek for so many years. But he breaks them in a way that makes sense, and he breaks them with intention and in a way that has a purpose. And that makes, again, all the difference. Now, uh, Eric, we are heading into the finale, the series finale. And uh, this penultimate episode that we just saw features, well, it features a series of shots of the cast kind of gazing in awe at the restored Enterprise, which is a direct callback to Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, yeah. But also, it sets up a conflict between... now. You and I are nerds of a certain age, and we love the original Next Generation characters. We also identify with the Next Generation characters, and it sets up the conflict going into the finale that it's the original crew versus all the youngs. I know. <laughs> the young people, which is a little meta. What do you think of that? Well, that's, you know, another thing that I kind of love about this. There are so many TV shows that are so youth-oriented. They always show people who are advanced beyond their years. They're 30 years old and they, they're they running major corporations and stuff. So why not have a show where the the, the range of the age of the actors is like 65 to um, to 80? <laughs> and, and they're the ones who get to save the day, you know, and it's the young people who have to take a back seat and sit back while these experienced explorers take the helm and actually save Starfleet. I love that. <laughs> and the other thing that I love about this show is there's a lot of interesting callbacks. It's a love letter to these Trek series that we saw in the 90s and the early 2000s. So the reason why Worf, for example, finds out that the changelings are involved in this conspiracy is because a changeling who he really values and respects tells him what's going on. Now, fans will assume that this changeling is the character Odo from Deep Space Nine, who was played by René Arbergenois. And he, unfortunately, has passed away, so he couldn't be in the show. But they could make a really cool reference to him. That's a nod to the series. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of the changelings being arrayed against Starfleet, that all happened 
as a result of the Dominion War, which played out on Deep Space Nine. So a huge nod to Deep Space Nine, which I think is an undervalued Trek show. And then having Seven of Nine there and having her sort of struggle to be seen by Leem and appreciated, that's all nods to Voyager. It's just wonderful how they've incorporated these nods to shows that have passed where if you don't know the show, uh-huh. you'll still enjoy the, the story. But if you do know the show, there's an extra bit of entertainment there. And if you don't know the show, it might inspire you to go back and watch those old episodes, which, hey, just happened to be on Paramount+. Plus. So, so it all works out, you know? Yeah. And is there anything else you wanted to hit? Well, you know, in addition to Liam Shaw, who's a great new character, I also liked the big bad that we were with through much of the show, Vatic, mm-hmm. played by Amanda Plummer. Yeah. You know, not the kind of actor that you would normally ex- would expect to be cast as sort of the big bad. And then when you find out her backstory, you're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, perfect casting. And Amanda Plummer is such a great actress that she really brought a lot to a role that could have really been just stereotypical sort of mustache twirling villainy. Uh, so shout out to Amanda Plummer for sure. Definitely. Yeah, she brought a lot. She was having fun with her villainy, which is always something you like to see. Well, we want to know what you think about Picard. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Eric Deggins, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Of course. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support for NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks while you're having some tea, Earl Grey, hot, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit a link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Huffs the Fatima and edited by Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts.